Let me say good morning again. It is good to be together. If you're a visitor here with us, either in person or uh, online, we're glad that you are with us. Please uh, make yourself known to uh, myself, or if you're online, uh, send us an email. We'd love to uh, connect with you. There is a, a black pad there in your pew. If you could take that and sign that and pass that along, uh, that helps us know who is here this morning. I want to uh, especially give thanks for Kat Berg. Kat uh, is uh, one of our own. She is under care of our session, uh, preparing for ministry, and is able to help lead us in worship this morning. So Kat, thank you very much for, for, doing, for doing that. We are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, and perhaps you may have figured this out by now, given their music, but we are looking at Jesus calming the storm. And we find it in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Listen to God's word to us. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I come from a long line of landlubbers, but my dad loved to fish. When I was little, we would go on a family vacation every year to Northern New York State, stay at a campground on the St. Lawrence River called Thousand Islands because of the islands in the river. And we would stay for two weeks and every day we would go out on this large river in our little boat with our three horsepower engine and fish. When my dad would take us fishing, we would use worms and would catch sunnies and bluegills and perch. But my dad always dreamed of something bigger. He would fish for bass or northern pike or his ultimate dream to catch a muskie, the monster of the deep in the St. Lawrence. He would take us kids fishing every day, but early every morning he would get up before dawn and go fishing by himself using these large lures, right, and hope of catching a mus muskie. My dad also loved to read, and so he would take a briefcase full of books with him in the boat, and he would spend his mornings reading and fishing. On one of those early morning fishing expeditions, whether because of the book he was reading was so engrossing or perhaps just because of the fishing, he wasn't paying attention to the weather. And suddenly a huge storm broke over top of him. It started to rain really hard and he reluctantly put his book away, pulled in his line and began to head home. But it was raining really, really hard. So hard that the little boat was beginning to fill with water fast and, and he was bailing but he soon realized that the water was coming in faster than he could bail it out 
And as he realized that he was losing ground, he noticed in the bottom of the boat a plug. And he thought, how brilliant. Someone put a plug in the bottom of the boat to let the water out. <laughs> now, my father is one of the most intelligent men that I've ever known. And of course, he pulled the plug to let the water out. And it was at that, my mo at that moment that my dad realized that the plug also let the water in, right? And the water pressure was such that he could not put the plug back in. Now, fortunately, he was fishing in a place called Thousand Islands, right? So my dad tells a story of holding his briefcase over his head so his books wouldn't get wet and steering the boat to a nearby island and was able to get there before the whole thing was submerged. I share this story to say that any time you get in a boat, there are various dangers that you face. Some are natural, as in the text that we read, and some are human-aided, as with my dad. In our text, Jesus had been teaching on the lake. He had gotten into the boat to teach because the crowds were so large, and then he says, let's go to the other side, to the Gentile side. The Sea of Galilee now is notorious for these kinds of storms. It is a lake with mountains on the eastern side, the, the Golan Heights, we call them now. To the northwest is Mount Hermon, over 9,000 feet above sea level, and the lake itself is below sea level. And this results in the cool air from Mount Hermon mixing with the warm air of the lake to create sudden storms that get trapped against the mountains. And a calm lake can quickly become a life-threatening chaos of wind and waves. Jesus wanted to go to the Gentile side. If you want to get to the Gentile side, you get in the boat. From the earliest days of the Christian faith, interpreters have looked at this story as a metaphor. Christians early on realized that the church was like a boat. In church architecture, we talk of the nave. The nave in Duke Chapel is the center part from the uh, front doors to where the transept is. That's called the nave, and nave is the Latin word for boat. As disciples, as disciples, we are in this boat together with Jesus, and we are called to cross a lake that is storm-tossed. If you want to get to the other side, you have to get on the boat. My dad could have fished from the shore if all he wanted to do was catch sunnies and bluegill. But if you want to catch muskies, you got to get in the boat. And when you get in the boat, dangerous things can happen. Beloved, when the Gospel of Mark was written, the church was in a tempestuous time. They would have identified with this story. They were facing persecution under Emperor Nero, they had suffered the loss of beloved apostles, Peter and Paul. It would have felt like giant waves were going to swamp them. The Jewish people in biblical times, like me, were landlubbers for the most part. They knew the sea was a dangerous place. Their view of the sea was that it was a force of chaos that threatened to destroy God's good creation. The story of creation in Genesis is told as a story of God taming and ordering the primal forces of chaos as represented by the waters of the deep. And God drawing lines, creating dry land to separate the land and, and to put a border, a boundary 
on the chaos, the waters. The Sea of Galilee, like the ocean, can seem like a beautiful, peaceful scene one moment, and then without warning become a raging, ravenous beast seeking to devour anything on it. <laughs> you remember a couple weeks ago, Hebrews 3? Holy brothers and sisters, our purpose is in sharing in our heavenly calling. Remember this? So that right, the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we do that by fixing our thoughts on Jesus. We can only do that if we get in the boat. We can't do it alone. We have to enter into this life together as the people of God. If you want a life of catching sunnies and bluegill, live it alone. But if you want to live for muskies, join a group of people, holy brothers and sisters, who are fixing their thoughts on Jesus so they can share in this heavenly calling. Think with me about this story of Jesus calming the storm to organize our thoughts about this text, <laughs> to save us from the chaos in my own mind, now let's organize our thoughts. Look at the four questions that are asked in these verses. Two questions asked by the disciples and two questions asked by Jesus. The first question is asked by the disciples in verse 38. We are told that this ship is being swamped by the waves and Jesus is asleep. The only place in all of scripture where we're told that Jesus was asleep is ironic, perhaps instructive to us, that the only time we were told Jesus was asleep was when a time of great danger. Jesus, though fully human, was asleep. Jesus, the Son of God, was tired, so tired that he was sleeping through the midst of a terrible storm. And so the disciples wake him up with our first question, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Question mark, exclamation point. Don't you care if we drown? And I want to say this first question teaches us something about prayer. Why did the disciples wake Jesus up? They woke him up because they wanted him to know what was going on. We are about to perish here, Jesus. Thought you might want to know that, right? And we pray for the same reason, right? We pray for the same reason. We want God to know what's going on in our lives. Does God need to be told by us? No, God knows our need before we ask. He knows our situation much better than we do, but we need to tell him. And that's right. Jesus is not upset as they wake him up. That's what disciples do. We let Jesus know what our situation is. But when the disciples woke up Jesus, what did they want him to do, I wonder? I suspect that they wanted him, panicked as they were, they wanted him to do something. And I think specifically, if I'm on that boat, I want Jesus to start bailing, right? If you're on that boat, you and all the disciples are using anything you can to get the water out of the boat, baskets, what, your hands, anything to get the water out of the boat. And Jesus is sleeping, all hands on deck. Jesus, wake up, right? I can imagine Peter throwing a bucket at him and yelling, teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? Bail, right? 
And we do the same thing in prayer. We do more than just tell God our need. We have already decided what we need God to do. We are bailing as hard as we can, and we need God to help us bail a little harder, right? There are things in our lives where what we need is not to bail harder. What we need is for God to show up and to act. What we need is for God to speak a word. Peace, be still. We need God to do what only God can do. We need to pray as Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Maybe when we pray, instead of asking Jesus to bail, let us ask him to do abundantly far more than whatever it is that we can imagine or think that he might do. And this leads us then to our second and third questions. Jesus asked these two questions in verse 40. He says, why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? Jesus' first question seems ridiculous. At first, why are you so afraid? Uh, the waves, Jesus? The water filling the boat, Jesus? We're about to die, Jesus? Is that good enough reason? But Jesus' question is an invitation, an invitation to see a reality that is greater than what our eyes can see. Yes, there are waves and wind and a life engulfing chaos all around us, but God, but God is here, but God cares for us, but God is in control, but God there are two words that I think we need to speak often to one another. Two words of wise counsel that we need to be constantly reminding one another of. And those two words are, but God. Yes, my life is a mess. Yes, our church, our life together is threatened. Yes, but God. But God is with us in the boat. Why are you so afraid? Maybe we are afraid because we think God doesn't care. Maybe we are afraid because we think God might sleep right through our crisis until it is too late. And to that fear, Jesus asks the second question. Do you still have no faith? The disciples had been around Jesus long enough to know that God cares, that Jesus cared. But the waves are big and the boat is filling with water, and so we doubt. Sometimes we need one another to remind us of what is true. To say, yes, the waves are big, but God is with us. Yes, but God has always been faithful in the past. Yes, but God has seen us through difficult times before. Yes, but it was God's idea for us to get in the boat in the first place. Yes, but God wants us to get to the other side. Yes, but God has called us to share in a heavenly calling <laughs> to go for muskies. Do we still have no faith, Jesus asked? 
even after we have seen Jesus crucified and come to know him as the resurrected one alive today? Do we still have no faith? Which leads us to our fourth question in verse 41. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this who does things that only God can do? No human being can tell the wind and waves to stop. Only God can do that. It's interesting. In verse 40, Jesus says that they were afraid. Verse 41 says they were terrified. Literally, it says in verse 41, it says they feared with a great fear. Right? They were frightened by the waves, yes, by the very real possibility that they would drown. But they were terrified. They feared a great fear at this man who commands the wind and the waves. Do you know what's scarier than whatever winds and waves we face? (laughs) Jesus is scarier. (laughs) Being face to face with God, with God himself is scarier. If this man can command wind and waves, then I should bow in surrender and utter abandonment to him and to his will. And that's scary. The same fear occurs again later on in this gospel in chapter 16 when the angel tells Mary and the women at the, at the empty tomb, Jesus is alive, he's back. It says the women were terrified, right? Who is this? And the question that follows that, this, this ultimate question that we all must answer, who is this? The question that follows that is, and will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him by obeying his word, by living your life according to his word, according to his plan? Will, you, will we together as God's people here, will we trust him by staying in the boat? This boat of this little boat that we're trying to keep afloat here at Blacknell threatened by waves. You can name some of those waves, right, that have threatened to swamp us this past year. The, the, this wave of how do we answer this question about racial justice in our world, in our church, this wave that's crashed upon us, the wave of the presidential election, the political tension in our world, and yes, in our congregation, this wave, the wave of COVID and isolation that we have felt swamping us, the wave of COVID and masks and vaccines and how do we come together and all these decisions and how do we come to these decisions together? Will you stay in the boat? Will you trust him that he is able to keep this boat afloat, the one who commands wind and waves? Will we trust him when he calls us to sacrifice, to give up our own sense of comfort in order to fulfill this heavenly calling? Will we trust him enough to keep his command to love one another, even when that is not easy, even when that involves conflict? Will we trust him? Will we trust him in whatever the waves that you face in your own life, in your own family? Things that tempt you to think God doesn't care. But he does, but God does. Will we trust him enough to wait for him, to wait for his word, peace, be still? Instead of coming up (laughs) with our own best idea, right? Ooh, a plug, that's a great idea, right? (laughs) 
How many times have we all done that? Come up with this great idea that we think will easily fix our problem, only to realize we've created a bigger problem. We wait for him to speak his word to us. Will you trust him? Today, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks, praise for your word to us that you indeed are with us in the boat, that we're not alone, left our own devices to bail harder to keep this thing going, that you are with us. Lord, help us to trust you, to follow where you lead, to hear your word and to obey it. And Lord, may we stick together with you and with one another that we might live into the calling you've given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.